Good to see everybody this morning. If you're here for the first time, we, you're our special guest here at Powell's Chapel. Bring me down there, fellas. We want you to feel right at home. Worship the Lord with us today. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 1. As we continue our study from the book of Ephesians, uh, if you've missed any of the uh, previous studies uh, that Brother Todd has brought to us, uh, let me tell you, you've, you've missed a blessing. I mean, they have been some wonderful studies, and I encourage you to, to, to be here every chance that you can, that you're able to do so. Uh, this morning, we'll be looking at verses 15 through verse 23. If you don't mind, please stand for the reading of the scriptures. And after the reading of the scriptures and prayer, you can be seated. I'm going to only read one verse to you and use that sort of a, as a springboard, if you will, of the thoughts that the Lord has laid on our heart uh, pertaining to these passages of scripture, verses 15 through 23. And it comes from verse number 18. Verse number 18, for the Apostle Paul is praying here. He prays that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. A lot of translations use the word heart, open the eyes of our heart, and which is a good and a proper translation for that, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I want to use the thought this morning uh, that you may know, that you may know. So let us pray. Father, bless now your word to the hearts of your people. And may, Lord, you be pleased to use this uh, just a vessel of, of, of clay here, Lord, that you have put breath into, that you called and enabled to speak. My prayer this morning, Lord, is your people will go beyond the voice of this preacher and they'll hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking as we teach your word this morning. May you be honored, may you be glorified in all that we do here. And all God's people said, praise the Lord. You can be seated. Up until this point, the Apostle Paul has been praising the Lord in one long sentence that begins with verse 3 and goes through verse number 14. Paul ascends into the heights of glory, if you will, and the majesty of God in this great song of praise that our brother has been teaching us for the past few weeks. In that, Paul describes in great detail, in great detail, if you will, the amazing riches that we possess in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also tells us that God, what God has done and what God is doing in order to bring us to Christ. This morning, we'll start with verse number 15 and uh, try to glean from that which the Lord is pleased to show us. So... 
verse 15, we begin with the word wherefore. Now, wherefore is a word in our English language known as a conjunction. And what that means is, is it's used to join two thoughts, if you will. Paul is looking back at the things which he has taught us, which he is saying. And like I said, if you've been here uh, for the previous services, I'm sure that there were some things that you heard or maybe that was taught that was kind of different, maybe even just a little bit confusing to you, may even raised a little bit of concern in your mind. Well, what Paul is going to do from verse 15 onward is try to explain and to pray that you may be able to understand that which he has just taught. So we look at the word wherefore, we look back in the previous verses, and we're going to also look forward into the verses that we'll be looking into today. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love unto all the saints, Let's stop right there and look at, if you will, Paul's words of praise to these Ephesian brethren. He has two things that he's, he's going to praise them for. The first thing he's going to praise them for is their profession, their profession that they make. Look at what it says. He says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now that's their profession. And then the second thing that he will praise them for is their practice. In other words, what we can see here in verse number 15 is an acid test, if you will, for Christianity. If you are a true Christian or not, you should have these two characteristics glowing, if you will, in your life. What does he say here about their profession? Well, let's break it down just a little bit. Paul says, wherefore... I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Look at the terminology. And there is absolutely no word in Scripture that is there by accident. It's not there as a filler, as sometimes we do in our writings. But every word that the Apostle Paul used is there for a reason, and it has significant value. So what we see here is Paul is addressing these Ephesians and he's saying that your faith, even though it's not a mountain-moving faith or a sycamore tree plucking up and removing type faith, but it is the true faith, and that faith is in the Lord Jesus. That's where our faith must rest. That's the only place that our faith can rest for true salvation. And I want you to note here that he calls him the Lord, the Lord Jesus. That is his proper title, for that is what he is to the child of God. He is Lord. Now, never let it be said or get the false idea that you can have Jesus as your Savior and not your Lord. There's a lot of people today that teach in, in the realm of religion that, well, I can, he can be my Savior today and maybe 5, 10, 15 years down the road, I'll make him my Lord. You cannot separate his lordship from his saviorhood. He's either lord of all or he's not your lord at all. He must be in your heart, in your faith, Lord Jesus. So we look at their faith. It's based on 
the lordship of Jesus Christ. They recognize him as the sovereign one, as the one who is able to save to the uttermost those that can come unto God by him. He is the one that enables us to come. He is the one that enlightens our mind and enables us to believe. He gives us that gift of faith. Everything from start to beginning is of God. It's of our Lord Jesus, if you will. So he's praising them for their profession. Their profession is true. Their profession is, is right on target, if you will. If your faith is based on anything other, than the Lord Jesus, then you have a faulty faith. If your faith is based on being a member of this church, you have a faulty faith. If your faith is built on something that you can achieve in and of yourself, then your faith is faulty. It's wrong. Salvation is of the Lord and Him alone. If your faith is based in anything other than the Lord Jesus, it's wrong. He praises them for their profession. And then he praises them for something else. Let's call this a fruit of true faith. A fruit, if you will, of true salvation. He praises them here not only for their profession, which is in the Lord Jesus, but he praises them for their practice. Something they, 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 they live out. What does he say here? He says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. You know, one of the true characteristics of the child of God is that you love the brothers, is that you love other saints, that you love one another, that you show that love, that it's not a shallow, just a hearsay, oh, I love you, brother, then whenever there's a need rise up, you're nowhere to be found. But it is a true evidence of salvation when we have a true love for one another. And when we show that love, the Ephesians had that. They had true faith. They had the characteristics. They had the practice of true faith and in the fact that they showed love to all the saints. So in verses 15 and 16, we have here uh, Paul's, uh, if you will, their profession, their practice. And here Paul starts to do something. And you know, it, it, it struck me. There's, there's a lot of wonderful things associated with being a pastor or being a teacher. One of those things is is being able to pray for the congregation that they may be able to understand what you say. Actually get it down, not just in their thinking processes, but get it down in their heart and their understanding. And that's what Paul is going to start doing right now. He's going to start praying for the people at Ephesus and in the, to the faithful in Christ Jesus because he's handed them some pretty meaty uh, teachings here he's taught them some pretty deep things what does he say verse 16 he says i cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers now what does he pray here's what he's going to pray 
He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and in the spirit of knowledge of him. You can break up these last few verses kind of like this. It's kind of how I broke them up. Verses 17 and 18, what Paul prays for is that we might be, under, be able to understand the mysteries of God. The mysteries of God. That's verses 17 and 18. Verses 19 and 20, you can, you can kind of put this title on it if you will. Paul prays that they might understand what is the might of God or his mighty power. He wants them to know and to understand that. And in verse 21 through verse 23, he wants them to understand the majesty, the majesty of God. When we look at these passages of Scripture, I, I want, and I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I, I guess I am in a sense, because I need to really drive this point home. I really need to drive this point home. What Paul is concerned about is that we know for sure that we know that we know that we know that we know in whom we have believed and why we have believed what we believe. There's no other thing, if you will, in the Bible in which we can hang the weight of our eternal soul on other than the truth that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, everybody knows what the gospel is, preacher. What's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Exactly. But is that deep in your heart? Do you really, really understand what it means to say that I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? That I believe without a shadow of a doubt that he was the son of God. He is who he said he was. And he came. He lived a perfect life. He lived above the law. He lived a sinless life so that I, who was a sinner, could be declared not guilty. Do I believe that he went to a cruel, rugged cross? They hung him on a tree. He was beaten beyond recognition. His blood was shed for me. Do you believe that this morning? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. If in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, For I delivered unto you first of all that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Romans 4, 25 says these words, he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Do you believe that this morning, church? Do you believe that your only hope is in the cross of Jesus Christ? In his shed blood, do you believe that? In order to be saved, you've got to say, yes, I do. I believe that. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, what is he going to pray for here? Here's what he's going to pray for. Number one, that we may be given a spirit of wisdom. 
a spirit of wisdom that we may know who God is. That we may understand deep in our hearts, having the eyes of our heart opened. Do you know that's, that's what God does when he saves you? Do you know that that's what he does? He opens your eyes of the heart. He quickens you. He makes you alive to the fact you see yourself as a sinner. As a sinner. Because that's what we were. And that's what I still am. I'm just saved by grace now. Paul prays that we have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, this morning I have to answer a couple of questions for you. Number one, what wisdom is and what, what a revelation is. Well, a revelation is that which is granted unto us in order to give us understanding. And what Paul is doing here is he's, is he's given these people these great doctrines according to his chosenness in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ and himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. All of these things here, folks, need, we need to have a revelation. These are not just uh, Pollyanna theology today. These are deep truths. That in order for us to grow, we need a, a spirit of revelation. We need God to open our eyes in order for us to attain and to understand what he's about to tell us. When you get the spirit of a revelation, when God ex gives you the knowledge of what he's talking about here, what Paul is praying for, he's praying to the Ephesians, I want God to give you understanding of what I have just told you. And when he gives you that spirit of revelation, he also must give you the spirit of wisdom. Now, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge, if you will? Knowledge is all this stuff you have in your head, things that you acquire in your mind and in your thinking. Wisdom is that which gives you the ability to use that which you know. Wisdom says that I can take the sword of the Spirit and I can wield that sword of the Spirit without cutting somebody in half but I can take that sword of the Spirit and I can trim here and trim there. Wisdom gives us the ability to use what we know. He prays that we might have this spirit of wisdom, this eye-opening wisdom of what he is teaching us here. And the eyes of our hearts being uh, of understanding, being enlightened. Being enlightened of what? That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. One of the greatest things that we can understand this morning is what we have in Christ. You know, so many of us, and even me myself at times, I don't realize how rich I am. I don't realize what Christ has done for me. I don't realize that all of these things was given to me at the time of salvation. All of those gifts was given to me when he saved me. 
What I need to understand and what I need to do is put into practice those things he's given me. And that's why so many uh, children of God today walk around like they're, they're bankrupt. You know, I got the weight of the world on my shoulders. You know, this is going bad. This is terrible. We don't realize how rich we are. We don't realize how God has truly blessed us. We, don't, we, we pray that, Lord, you give me the power, give me the strength, give me the wisdom, give me all this to do this, that, and other. You've already got it. Just use it. Put it into practice. I remember a, a story that was told one time about a famous, uh, well, he was, you know, he was a very famous man, and he, and he was very wealthy, a very wealthy man. And this very famous wealthy man uh, would like to collect art, all types of art, of the Rembrandts, Picassos, uh, all of these things. This man had a son. And this son, as he got of age, like all back in the day would be, uh, it come time for him to be drafted, and he went into the armed forces. While he was in the armed forces, he met a young man that was a painter. And the, the young man that he met painted a, 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 a true-to-life picture of him. True-to-life picture of him. Looked just like him. Well, the rich man's son was killed in the military. The young man that he met encountered while he was in the military brought this portrait back, knocked on this man's door one day, and he said, I, I painted this portrait of your son, and I wanted you to have it. So the rich man was, oh, he was so grateful for that, you know, and he wanted to pay. He said, no, 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 your son actually saved my life. So he took the portrait and he put it right up on his mantle. My son looked just like him. Well, it came the time and the rich man died. But in the meanwhile, he had gave special instructions to one of his groundskeepers that at, the, at his death, that he would follow these instructions to the T. And they had an auction. And as the auction took place, people came from all around because they knew he was a well-known collector of great arts. And as the auction started to take place, the auctioneer says, I have special instructions here from the owner. He said, this picture must be sold first. And it was a picture of his son. Well, nobody would bid on it. People waited, waited. And they said, give us the Picassos. Bring out the Rembrandts. We want to we wanna buy all of them. And all, all of a sudden, one of his other help, uh, his gardener, stepped up and said, I'll give you $10 for it. Waited for another bid. No bid. The auctioneer put his gavel down and said, sold. $10. And he says, now I've got some further instructions from the owner of this estate. He opened the letter and he said, whoever buys this portrait of my son gets everything else. Everything else. You see, folks, what we don't realize, when we've got the son, we've got everything else. We've got everything else. We just don't realize it. What Paul is praying for here is that we might get the understanding of the great riches, the inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the great riches we have, the eyes of our understanding, that they may be opened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Now, I think I told you here that this was a picture of his might, his power. We looked at a little bit of his majesty. We, we've looked at, we're going to look now at a little bit of his might. And understand today that God is mighty to save. Paul's praying here. He says, this, this is what I'm praying for you also. Not only that your eyes will be enlightened. That you'll understand what is the hope. What is the riches that we have in Christ. But that we might understand that the God we serve is a mighty God. He is able. He's not short-armed that he can't reach out and redeem. He can. Paul says, I'm praying this for you. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that world which is to come. It amazes me, brothers and sisters, as I talk to different people throughout in my career, in my ministry, how many people there are out there that give the devil more credit than they give God. You know, I've had a terrible week. The devil's just been all over me this week. I just can't get him off my back, you know, things like that. And they give the devil all this credit. You know, I've even, I've even seen... Uh, and I won't call any names. But I, I've seen these uh, professional musicians, and I'm not knocking musicians, so don't, don't say that Brother Frank's down in musicians. I'm not. But I've seen these professional musicians portray a great chess game going on with the Lord Jesus and the devil. You know, and it's, it's who makes the, the wisest move who's going to win. Let me state this as clearly as I can. Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Slewfoot, whatever you want to call him, the adversary, the father of lies, whatever you want to call that rascal, he is nothing more. Listen to me. He is nothing more than an errand boy in the hands of a sovereign God. In order for Satan to get to you, he's got to go through God. And there is absolutely nothing that happens in your life that happens without the permission of God himself. But we give Satan all this credit. We fail to see how strong our God is. We limit him. We do. We limit him. We say, well, <clears throat> you know, if we'd only let him, you know, we can have the glories, you know, the most glorious life if we'd only let him. What does a creature mean by rebuking its creator? Amen? You know, we, we get off on this tangent. Let me ask a couple of questions. Gerald, I'll use you. 
Did you choose Leslie as your wife? Yeah. You made a choice, didn't you? You, you wanted Leslie. She's lovely, isn't she? Yeah. Brother Todd, you chose your wife, didn't you? You're not married yet. Are you heading that way? I'm going to leave this one because we could get... But every, every man in here has made a selection. They chose their wife. They chose their bride. But yet we say God can't choose his. Oh, no, 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 no. God can't choose his wife. That would infringe on my free will. I want you to know something, brothers and sisters. Free will is nothing but a slave. When Christ sets you free, you're free indeed. And I'm thankful to God because we've studied these passages already that he chose me. I didn't choose him. He chose me. When I was an enemy to God, he chose me. I love what Jared said in his prayer this morning. Lord, you looked deep in my heart and you seen exactly who I was and you still love me. That's the God we serve. He's mighty to save. And we don't realize how mighty our God is. Paul prays to the church at Ephesus here. I pray that you understand how strong he is, how mighty he is to save. What a blessing for us to understand that. He's far above all principalities. He's far above all powers. He's far above all mights and dominions and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that world which is to come. I wasn't going to do this, but I think I will. Uh, turn over to the book of Colossians. I was trying to stay with the topic there, Brother Todd, but I, I kind of get off a little bit every now and then. Colossians chapter number one. Yeah, I'm still good. Verse number 14. Now, let's go back to 13. He says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Who hath delivered us? That's speaking of our Lord Jesus. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us unto the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven that are in earth, that are visible, that are invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Did you catch that little term there? And you probably didn't, but I'm going to bring it out to you again. Our Lord Jesus was involved. He was the creator. It says here, all things were created by him. That's the, first, the latter part of 16. And for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. In other words, they hold together. They hold together. I remember back in high school, we did some, some uh, I think it was physics back at the time. We looked at the structure of an atom. Atom has protons, neutrons, electrons, and they're, they're floating all around this and around that nucleus there. It, you know, it's made up of all these things. Do you know in order 
for those things to hold together, Christ has to hold them together. If he didn't hold those things together, this whole thing would go up. But by the cause of his mighty power, all these things hold together. Because of his mighty power, the sun never leaves its orbit. Because of his mighty power, the earth still rotates around that sun in perfect orbit as it's circling. All of these things, the stars in heaven, nary one of them can fall or go out unless God says it can happen. What is the 180-something thousand miles an hour that light, uh, per second that light moves? Something like that. Jerry, you're a pretty smart guy. You had 180,000 miles per second. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that. That we serve a God that has created not only this universe, but vast numbers of universes there without end. But he takes and looks at a speck like the planet Earth and even looks closer and he finds somebody like me. I'll go a step further. Find somebody like you. And he says, I'm going to send my son to die for you. And by his mighty power, he saves us. You know, folks, it took mighty power to save you. It wasn't a weak thing. Because we find here, go back to Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1. This very power that is exhibited to us, verse 19, is that which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set his own, at his own right hand in heavenly places. Do you know that the same power that it took God to raise Christ from the dead is the same power it takes to rise you from spiritual death? The same power. And it's going to take that same power one day after a while if the Lord tarries, and I hate to use that word tarries, is coming. He knows when he's coming. But if, if, if the Lord doesn't take us out of this thing before too much longer, I, I know that one day after a while, Brother Todd, you'll probably stand over me and say, well, he was a good old boy. There I'll be laid out. And you will too one of these days. But whether it's by the clouds or by the clods, that same power it's going to take to raise me up to my glorified state. That's power. We don't serve a weak God. We don't serve a, a, a God who is subject to the whims of a creation. But we serve a God who is mighty. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. He's mighty to save. His majesty, verse 22, 23. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head all, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of all things that filleth all in all. The church. The Bible says that we are a part of that church. We're part of that ecclesia. Those called out ones. That's what ecclesia means. Called out ones. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called from death to life. And Christ, he's the head of the 
church. No, there's different parts of that body. And every part of that body is important. If you don't believe it, stump your big toe. I'll go a step further, stump your little toe. It's going to hurt your whole body. So you may be thinking, this, this thing has done got loud on me again, Todd. I'm echoing in my own ears. You may be thinking this morning that you're not important here at Powell's Chapel. You may be thinking that, well, I'm just a little toe in this body. Let me tell you something. You're important. There are no big eyes and no little U's in God's family. We all function together. We're all part of that body. Looking under the head, which is Jesus Christ. Bow with me for prayer. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you today. And my prayer is this morning that you will open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, that you will help us to understand how rich, truly rich and blessed we are. To see that you're mighty, that you're strong, Lord. You're able to deliver us. Father, that you rule. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. And one day after a while, we know that every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Truly, He is Lord. And I pray this morning, Father, if there be one here within the sound of our voice that has never cried out, be thou merciful to me, a sinner. That this would be the day, Father, that you've set aside in eternity past. Grant them repentance and faith. Let us be witnesses of that power and grace today. Let us be sure of our calling and our election. Let us be sure that we know that we know in whom we have believed. We do believe in Christ our Lord as our only hope. In Jesus' name, amen. While we stand.